When the credits start rolling, but the movie keeps haunting you. Before, after. Then it's time to tune in to Dismembering Horror. We'll talk about what worked and also what didn't. We'll dissect every aspect. Maybe someone we shouldn't. He turned out to be a completely unreliable asshole. Take it away, boys. And take it away, we shall. Hello, Tim. Hello, Ryan. And hello, everyone listening. Thanks for being here. Here to Dismembering Horror. I won't repeat what she said. But I will say what she didn't mention. This is very much in the spirit of just friends getting together who just watched a horror film and want to talk all about it. So we hope you've seen it. Fine if not. And what is it today? Today is for episode 193, if my math is correct, The Menu from this fine year of 2022. Mm. Yeah, yum. Yeah, yeah. You know what else is on the menu? My dirty glasses over here. I'm trying to clean them and I'm just banging them up against the mic. Here we go. I'm ready. I'm putting them on my face. All right. Take two. Here we go again. Hello, Tim. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. All right. Yeah, no. It's going to talk about the menu. Like to start with a trailer. Anything else aside from glasses cleaning uh, to to address Um, before? I don't think so. How about you? No, nothing. nothing Life good? (laughs) Yeah, I'm happy to be here with you. Great. I thought of uh, thought of you because I went and saw this at the Chinese theater, which is where oh, we've seen um, not the big one it was playing, but you know we've seen many a film yeah. there together. I think some of our first films we saw there down the street, down Hollywood Boulevard from us. We saw Solo there. Remember oh yeah, that? <laughs> we saw like, we sat like right up in front. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was fun. I liked Solo. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's figure out if we like the menu by starting with the trailer here. So. Here we go. Set up who made it. Uh, yeah, directed by Mark Mylod. Mylod? Written by Seth Reese or Rice and Will Tracy. Here we go. The menu. Is that going to fit everyone? Yeah, easily. 12 customers total. How do they turn a profit? 12.50 a head. That's how. What are we eating? A Rolex? It's one of his classics. You have to try the mouse feel of the mignonette. Please don't say mouthful. Tonight will be madness. Welcome. We'll endeavor to make your evening as pleasant as possible. Welcome to Hawthorne. Here we are family. Yes, sir! We harvest, we ferment, we gel. We gel? We gel. He's not just a chef, he's a storyteller. The game is trying to guess what the overarching theme of the entire meal is gonna be. You won't know till the end. Who are you? I am Margo. Why do you care? I have to know if you're with us or with them. This menu. The pictures, they're All right, brought to us by Searchlight Pictures, Fox Searchlight. Okay, Tim. That was the trailer for the menu. Now, <laughs> now we like to uh, get into it further here with our rating system. Oh. So would you tell yourself to avoid stream or rent the menu? 
What about or a buy? Sorry. What about buy, Ryan? <laughs> what about it? I would buy this actually. Great. Why did I not say that? The one that the only the only one you'd buy. Uh, because I never want to buy anything. Yeah. No. Um, I you know, I I don't think I've been so pleasantly surprised by a movie in a long time. This is like not that I had I had I think I had pretty reasonable, like, good expectations for it. I thought it would be good. But I didn't think it would be as good as I, I found it and uh, as funny as I found it. And just overall, like, I, we'll talk about it, obviously. But, like, it, I connected with it for two very simple reasons. There's... There's sort of two big themes in it, which are service industry plight and uh, artistry. And I was like, oh, my God, this movie is like speaking to <laughs> me. <laughs> how how intense and cool and fun. Um, and then I just I love a, a good, you know, sort of I don't know if if you would really classify it. It's not so much a mystery, but it kind of has that almost Agatha Christie-ish feel to it. Like, you know, you're a bunch of people in a room uh, at risk. You know, there's a there's a bad guy and, and a bunch of people. It feels like almost like a play. And and I quite liked that, too. So um, all around, I, I left being like, damn, that's one of the better movies I've seen in a long time. <laughs> Great. So, yeah, I'm gonna buy it. Good to hear. I'll uh, I'll keep it safe with a rent for now, but definitely very, very high on that. Um, yeah, I, I definitely want to see it again in the future. Maybe I can't. Um, <laughs> I haven't I haven't worked regularly in the service industry like you, so maybe I'm missing <laughs> that for better or worse. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was into it and very much into it. I don't know. Maybe I don't. I mean, yeah, there's going to be so much we're going to talk about. I love the rich theme stuff, you know, so much. But maybe I just was viewing it still just through the lens as a pretty regular, like, horror film, mm -hmm. just with the structure and everything. So it was just super, yeah. super satisfying and, like, across the board in that regard. But satisfying, you know, like a good meal? <laughs> yes. Oh, okay, cool. It's a good meal. <laughs> <laughs> um. So uh, hit the spot. Okay, for, cool. For great, sure. great. I'm glad. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, to further get us all on the same page here, uh, what was this film, The Menu, Tim? Okay. Um, so there is a uh, extremely hard, uh, hard to get into and cost prohibited, prohibitive, prohibitive? Mm -hmm. Pro why does that sound so weird? Um elite kitchen that uh that and restaurant that um provide a dining experience for people who are able to get there um and i mean that only in the in the sense that it's elite it's not like you have to be somebody you just have to be able to uh get through the wait list and and pay an exorbitant fee to have dinner at this restaurant um in a, on a secluded island i, mm -hmm. I presume and, um, They're trapped there, yeah. Yeah, and so this famous chef has, you know, curated uh, the 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 menu for for this 
restaurant and is is famed for that. Uh, and, you know, as as we sort of have examples of that in real life, so it's not it's not something super foreign. And the group of people who are going this time around, it seems like it doesn't it happens. I don't know. Not every day. It's not a kitchen that's open every single day. Well, what we learn is that this is, yeah, a regular regular meal or whatever doesn't happen every day here. Prepare, but this specific one is only happening once. That's it's a right. very special one. He's been preparing for for like a year, and not only has he curated the menu, but he's curated the curated the guests as that's a part right. of the menu and the experience. And so some of those guests, well, the two main guests, I guess you would say, are um, this dude played by Nicholas Holt. Um, what was his name? Uh, da, 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 da. I, can, I can't remember her name. Um, oh, Tyler. And um, and then Anya Tyler, Taylor Joy is is uh, playing Margot Mills slash Aaron. Right. And so what we find out is that Margot was a last second addition um, or a replacement for Tyler's original date. And for, you know, whatever reason, it's it's not that important. Um, but he he replaced his date and much to sort of the the dismay of the chef and of the uh, host, I guess, sort of part of the the kitchen staff who's the maitre d'. Yeah, maitre d'. Um, they're kind of they're like, dude, we, like you weren't supposed to do that. So what the hell? So intrigue, you know, uh, arrives early. And then, um, so Margot is is the one person who's really not a part of this world in any way. She doesn't think it's interesting. She's not enamored by any of it. She seems to think it's all kind of bullshit. And uh, and it kind of is. And so the uh, the courses of of the menu or the meal begin to to come out and we get to know some of the other people the guests that are there for it um there's like a kind of a rich couple and the guy of the rich couple seems to recognize Margot. she definitely recognizes him and we don't know why uh there's a rich actor uh who's kind of at the tail end of his relevance in career wise played by john leguizamo there is uh, some th- three like business techie bros that we find out are actually employees of the super wealthy um, investor or slash owner of this restaurant. The person who who was uh, got on board and partnered to make it even exist. Uh, and then there, you know, there's uh, the actor's assistant is his date. And, and who am I leaving out? Is that it? Oh, and then there's the the foodie... Um, the food critic. Critic. And her right. editor. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you know, and as the night goes on, we get to know all of these other people a little bit more here and there. Um, but the, you know, like anything in this realm, it's all very extravagant and posh and and sort of you know they're i mean i don't know i'm not a food person really i don't watch 
food shows, but it's very much like a high-end food show where everything is super meticulous. Uh, all, of, all of the dishes have a theme to them that's interconnected with a broader theme. Um, there's a lot of to-do about like how things are sourced and the presentation of them and what that means and how it's supposed to affect you as the person eating it, all of this very foody stuff. Um, but what we quickly realize is that the chef is either completely deranged or completely taking the piss out of the people who are there. And it turns out to be the, the, the former. He, he, he's Say both. Well, that's true. Yeah, it is both, isn't it? <laughs> um, so, for example, he tells an anecdotal story about having to defend his mother from his drunk father or stepfather. I can't remember which. Um, and, and he does so when he, when the father is beating up his mom by uh, jamming a pair of scissors into his thigh. And, the and uh, oh, while the father is choking his mother with a phone cord. And then that dish that's presented is a... Um, I think it was like a, a chicken breast or something like, or, or no, it's chicken thigh, of course, <laughs> um, with, uh, tiny little scissors in them on, on a bed of phone cord. So it's quite tongue in cheek in that respect. But all of this leads to two things. One is the very abrupt realization that this is not just a joke and uh we we kind of have that confirmed i guess by one of the dishes being the one of the head sous chefs uh killing himself well, in front of them what what isn't a joke is the fact that he's planning on killing all of them that night themselves himself and the rest of the staff included. That's right. And, and he, and so that's tied in the way we learn that is through Margot, who he, uh, essentially pulls aside and says, look, you don't belong here. Why are you here? Who are you? Because this was all very meticulously planned by me and you're messing it up. And she has to decide whether or not she is, uh, he says, it doesn't matter uh, ultimately, you're going to die. We're all going to die. He just like tells her straight up, and but he does give her the option to either be on the side of the staff or the side of the guest, and that just sort of becomes this, I guess, tête-à-tête between him and her over where they belong in the world, as far as he's concerned. Well, that's his. That's his. Uh, the plight that he poses it, how he poses it to her. But really, I saw it as the movie was an intellectual sparring between the two yeah. of them, you know, questionably we're hoping that maybe she could lead to her escape somehow. Right. So, um, and then as the night goes on, more and more violence occurs. There's various, uh, we'll get into intense it. Intense yeah. moments, but ultimately, uh, Margot is faced with trying to outwit him or convince him to let her go, so to speak. And, and she does. And and good for her. And then everybody else dies. <laughs> As was planned. So, it, I mean, really, it, it does... It, it turns out the way he wanted it to. Like, everybody who he 
wanted to die dies. Everyone gets what they want in the end. That's right. <laughs> There's a big twist, I guess, in that uh, Margot's date knew all along that uh, that that was the end game for the night. That that Chef had told him that months in advance, and he still invited her, hired her as a a, a sex worker. Um, to be his companion for that night, which is pretty dark and twisted and uh, not cool. Very makes us root for her even more. Yep. All right, lots to talk about. So let's get into it. Our first big section here. What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm, Smith. What worked? What worked? This kind of plays into, uh, I guess, the question I just post- posed you, which is, well, what is the menu? What was this film? And my my comparison way to describe it, maybe someone else has said it, I don't know, but struck me. Midsommar meets Ratatouille, <laughs> right? Sure, yeah. <laughs> we got, I mean, something else yeah. I know you really like is... Uh, the uh, anything that has to do with cults and culty things, mm-hmm. yeah, and um, adhering to that sort of uh, yeah, a set doctrine. Um, so that's all in there, and then of course, I mean, then the themes at play of uh, food as art and criticizing it, all that. I mean, it's basically the ending, the same edit ending of Ratatouille, how she escapes is right. just Ratatouille. Uh, that's so funny, so yeah, so sold already on that level, yeah. Works for me. Um, yeah, but themes at play, I feel like, are our biggest, God, there's, biggest thing here. It's so good. It's, I think, just in general, one of the reasons that I lo- love it or loved it so much and, and, and like really want to see it again and feel as though I could see it multiple times and it would, it would never be diminished is the vastness of thematic things that they're touching on, right? Like classism, um, touch of sexism, sexism, like all the isms, you know, like in various ways, but like art, what it means to be an artist, how society views artists, how society warps artists at times, how critique warps everything, you know, class. Uh, you already said class. Yeah, classism. Uh, um, like but consumerism. Not what, what. What's the would be the word for it? A lot of people call it capitalism. I don't think that's accurate. We've talked about this before, but it's like that. That quest, which is, it's kind of like you could look at it as what the chef's story is, or just all these rich people. It's like the searching for perfection, which the right. chef admits oh. is. It's so good because he admits that's impossible. Yep. Yet we see that's his exact plight. But then all that really is, is we learn he's trying to just chase that feeling of the joy of cooking up hamburgers for people right. back when which he was young. Which is what got him into it in the first place, right? Yeah. But it, how, how money then perverts that. That This is this that theme just by itself, which I don't know if what, like, how is that theme specifically defined i i would just say it's sort of it's the same thing as that star wars does right it's like it you know it's it's a hero's journey thing and if you follow the hero long enough the hero turns into the villain right like that's that's a very 
cool, universal, long-standing tradition in storytelling. And it really is just following through with that. Like, all things can start with this, like, altruistic, you know, beautiful intention, but put into the wrong uh, environment or, or through the course of time, that can be corroded if you let it. And it turns into darkness. Like uh, you're just trying to keep the lighthouse lit, but then become obsessed with staring at the bulb. Right. So this is like, you know, we as humans, for various reasons, really, really respond to that. Uh, would you call that an archetype or a sort of, a, I guess, a it's not really, I guess it's a trope, but trope seems sort of negative when you say it now. So either way, I, I just think it's a really universal theme and and really fun to watch in different environments. And this is an environment that obviously, even myself not really being somebody who consumes food attainment, <laughs> if that's a term, um, I still find myself occasionally coming across it if it if it's on TV and I happen to be watching it. I'll be like, oh, this is interesting. I'll watch an episode of like Iron Chef and be like, damn, that's cool and fun and exciting. And like how there's a million food shows. Well, it's I mean, it is right? comfort food. Those shows <laughs> right, right. for people. But you think about like why that is, why it's just the beauty shots and the allure of cooking. Why? Yeah. What? What? I mean, why that would be comfort food it's just because like they talk about in the film it's just this inherent uh well like his, his monologue the the, the dude oh, oh tyler gives, yeah. tyler gives <laughs> of like it's the closest thing we have to life and death right you know so you get to play god and like you know you you get to be a part of the ecosystem creating the you know whatever the the taste palette like of the protein you get to like <laughs> see the protein live its full life and blah blah it's just right. on and on but i also can think of like what that appeal what the appeal of those shows are i mean yeah it's kind of setting up in that comfort sense um but that i mean that's a good word as any for it the comfort that's the thing that is missing from uh chefs um julian is the chef's name ralph finds um that's what this kind of lesson or reminder she brings out with right. him in the ending. Again, same as Ratatouille <laughs> connects him back to when he was younger about what the real appeal of food is. And I don't know. I was trying to think of a way of how to put what that is because it's like we're looking at it. Her eating a cheeseburger. The idea is it's nothing fancy. Uh, it's for me, I don't know. Yeah. And trying to pick about apart the theme, trying to put it some way. That sort of said to me, if he became so obsessed with the food itself, trying to reach a perfection in an unhealthy way, like to the point where it includes killing a room full of people, um, she's she reminds us in that moment, it's it's not so much about the cheeseburger, but that she is having a moment sitting on the chilling on her boat watching this unique uh situation go up in flames <laughs> and uh and having a burger while this is going on so that that for me it sort of like felt like the end note was meals 
Sure, while they can be, and this is where horror is always interesting because it's always opposing truths, where meals can be about the food, we can all relate to getting excited about the new pizza place using the certain kind of dough or whatever. It should be the, the better meal, the, I don't know, this is where you could argue it maybe, but maybe the best meals are also the ones where you just had the cheeseburger, but it was because you were with a certain friend on celebrating a certain thing, right. you know? So it should be... So I don't know the way that 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 kind of culminated the ending. Her moment sort of said to me, "All right, yeah, food is um, an extension, an addendum of the real art piece, which is our lives." Yeah. Well, and and the whole the whole impetus is this idea that I, I become is perverted of can you cultivate the every aspect of the experience around food right and so that means ambiance that means setting that means uh company like all of these things that are to your point like we all can think of a quote-unquote perfect meal for us but the artistry that i think chefs and and food uh connoisseurs are are seeking often is how can you be the puppeteer of that perfect meal or moment experience of of experience for somebody else right it's a full experience you're curating yeah and that's really as an artist that's a really exciting thing right like what what better way to express your art than to or to achieve the expression of your art than through other people and make them feel something through other people, both uh, the who he's waiting on and <laughs> making them a part of it, as well as his own staff. Who That's are right. His yeah. Cult. Um, yeah. I mean, well, something I was going to say, kind of touch on all that. Like, I loved that you had the rich couple who he, he quizzes them. He's like, do you know, even know how many times you've eaten here or can you name like one thing that you had yeah. here? No, they, they can't. <laughs> yeah, because they just, they take it all for granted, which is, you know, like this is a commentary on social elitism and, and sort of like people just chasing or uh, engaging in art for the sake of the prestige without really giving a fuck about the art. Well, that's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's that fascinating thing that you think of with the uh, ultra rich yeah. who they can have it all, but it's just the idea of it becomes things that should be like almost once in a lifetime special events, like eating there just become yeah. a regular Friday night for them. Yeah. I mean, we talk about this a lot in that rich people you know the 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 accessibility of art is is often and has historically often been um gatekept by the rich right like you know not until maybe well i don't know this to be a particularly true but you know uh somebody who can't afford to have a monet on their wall <laughs> uh might not even be able to ever see a monet in real life right and that that is kind of terrible, right? Like why, why should you only be able to experience these great works of art by, by and large artists who were also poor? Oh, we'll, we'll have a coupon day or something. Right. 
unless you're super rich. Like that sucks. And that's like a failing of society in a lot of ways, in my opinion. And I probably am not alone in thinking that. Um, but I love that this chef in this is also aware of that, even though he is a part of that system that sort of upholds that not so great construct. I yeah, it, the some of the the conflict um, among the you know here the perceived bad guy is the main chef, right? He's there to kill them all. Yeah, I thought it was so interesting and in how it brought out more of those. I mean, bringing out the themes, but in a way where it's so tied to just like these sensitive emotions that we have around things like wealth and class and money. Mm -hmm. I think rightly so. Um, I just thought it was so fascinating, like the scene where the the three rich tech bros they like say the just worst most possible you can't help but hate them things where they tell him like do you know who we are right you know just tell us how much but you just hate them so much in that moment but then you it's it's just a trip to then find yourself siding with julian in that moment right and i yeah i don't then it just brings up all this interesting stuff for me because i'm like uh i don't know i feel like this can be controversial in our crowds to to not think demonizing, hating rich people is some sort of answer in itself. I, it seems that's very um, allowed, you know, I'm, but I'm very hippy dippy. Like I, I get it. I feel that I'm, I'm saying right now, I feel that myself, how much I hated those guys, but I don't think it's an end means in itself to uh, solve <laughs> any of our problems right. uh, just to villainize. Um, even though, you know, it's so easy to, yeah, like our real life super villains in a way, you know, but um, anyway, uh, brought up all that for me. Very exciting. Well, I, I mean, part of why it's so effective is because the um, the caricatures uh, or the categorization of these different characters is really clear to us. We, we, we know who those guys are because we uh, we can identify them. We, we, we know what these sort of um, toxic masculinity, rich, out of touch, uh, entitled. El uh, entitled bro thing is. We see it. It's, it's part of our culture. And it's easy for us to identify and get on board with disliking them. <laughs> yeah. But like, I think what's cool is that the character of the chef is is completely aware of all of these things, including his participation in it. And so his, his goal is not to... It, well, it is partially to point it all out and, and to sort of stick it to them, but he knows that he is not free of blame. And the scene in which we really, really feel that is, is the, the men need to go... Uh, get a 45 second head start and they're going to get chased down by the staff. And right. It's where he's kind of giving his own acknowledgement of his me too phase. Right. I was uh, acting inappropriate with this woman, didn't treat her with respect. And now here is, she has curated a meal about that. That includes her stabbing him in the thigh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, you know, it's the, what would you call that? Is it irreverence for it all in his, on his part, kind of? 
Um, but just like his acknowledgement of it all and like maintaining, he's completely committed to the menu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what's important. And even that in and of itself is sort of to the point of it all. That like the culture around this type of thing has propped up the importance of the menu and he's going to hold that up to the highest degree as well. He's going to stick with it. It, It's that uh, striving for perfection and artistry that you find is the thing kind of like, it's such a clear, passionate vision that that's what um, enlists cults, which I'll, you know, it's right. I really think you can say, I think it's pretty, um, pretty uh obvious or blatant with the kind of imagery of they're all living like in the same like a, like a barracks all the different uh sub chefs whatever you call them um yeah i wanted to get your opinion or your thoughts on this someone who's worked more in the service industry where we, we kind of started venturing into all about the uh all about the the wait staff class <laughs> and, and all that yeah um and oh no, you were talking about uh, how it's a curation of an experience, and we see here it is though at the sacrifice of all the individuals of uh, the individuality of the mm. people working there. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like no, they have joined this cult. They put on the right aprons, whatever. They're all a part. You know, yes, chef. You, right, he, right. The, his clap is so good. I love every time he claps <laughs> and brings them to attention. They're all happy to be there. They all, you know, are attached to striving to this. Um, what do they see as a greater purpose, even when it will lead to their deaths, which they're all down for. Uh, but I, I just I thought a lot about something a, a friend of mine said years and years ago, where she was complaining about working at whatever coffee shop restaurant. And complaining about how, like, she hated having to wear, like, a certain set of uniform Mm. or, like, a kind of, there was a a color code that she had to adhere to or whatever, where it just, like, really stirred something up for her, like, kind of an attack on her individuality. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I I get that. But then as soon as I imagine it from the, either the customer's point of view or the the restaurant owners or whatever, I'm like, okay, but this is all about curating an experience, like, what you know if i want to have a restaurant where part of the experience is everyone's wearing beige aprons like shouldn't that be allowed and like when like is that 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 bad yeah to just not be able to say wear whatever you want so i don't know i mean how do you how do you wrestle with all that of like you have to do this tim i don't know and then if you can i don't know kind of attach it to the themes in this film here that's a that is loaded um, I, th- I think that at its core, the, the experience of working in almost any level of, of, um, dining, let's say, is almost always, and, and for me pretty much always has been mired in a, in a reality in in two realities one is the concept of service and how some people view service as servitude and some people view service as 
like we're on the same level. You're somebody providing a service and there is admiration and respect for that. And you have to, as the server, you have to navigate that. You don't know who's who. You can find out pretty fast usually, but you're at the mercy of, of a, a long history of, uh, <laughs> of how service is viewed in our country in particular. And you can go down many a rabbit hole to find out the sort of why service jobs in our country uh, are so crappy in so many ways. And, and it is all really, to be quite frank, tied to slavery and post-slavery uh, America. And so why do we, why do service people uh, typically not get a full minimum wage because they are, pre they presume to get tips? Why do tips even exist? It's all tied into the fact that the majority of service industry people post-slavery or even during slavery were people of color and they were not viewed as, uh, ha like, uh, they they didn't deserve to have a, a full wage. They weren't considered full human beings. That construct construct still exists. Like tipping still exists, and like the onus of of pay is put on the customer rather than the business owner, and that's a really messed up construct to live in. And so, anytime you have just that baseline, and you're told to uh, extinguish any individuality in that construct, it it hurts. It feels like you're being oppressed in a certain way. And, and you are in a certain way, even when you sign up for it, right? Like, the problem I've seen mostly in my time in that realm is that there's an attitude that you could, well, if you don't like working at this restaurant, just go find another restaurant job. It is so difficult to find another restaurant job, not only at all, but that is even worthwhile to find, right? And so you're so at the mercy of all these different things that really feel like they're, you, you know, you, you just have no control over. And yet you're doing a thing um, literally for other people like you are providing this service for other people you're not getting paid enough or you're at the mercy of the experience uh your pay is determined by your ability to convince people that they're having a good experience right there's all these things that are just you're tied into and so yeah when you're told you can't roll your sleeves up when you're like literally having to and figuratively you need to be able to do that to get the job done. It it's really uh, frustrating to say the least. Now, having said all that, there is a cult kind of feel around certain restaurant tours and 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 personalities in that realm, depending on who it is. Like I worked for Gordon Ramsay at one point, right? <laughs> like for a TV show. And interesting because I 
work in production and then was also asked to work in the kitchen for the production. So I was doing both the things. And you can see how, I mean, he's a really nice dude. So like, that's great. But you can see how the the cult of Gordon can exist. People admire these personalities on such a high level that they they just get sucked into it and if that's your if you're prone to that kind of you know being taken by big personalities like that yeah yeah well, you, I, you get sucked into it i wonder if we all are on some level when just uh, as far as being able to relate to that connection to something I mean, that's what cults offer. It's what anything can kind of offer like that. You're an immediate connection to something bigger than yourself. Because I'm yeah. thinking back to the little bit of service work I have done. I mean, it was maybe as young and idealistic, but thinking back to like a summer, I did a movie theater job way back when, mm. just trying to think of times when I might've been wearing a uniform. And I'm like, you know, I mean, you know me, I'm like such a just sort of like individual uh, at heart, you know, kind of would not want to live a life, you know, if I'm fortunate of, um, I don't know. I feel better being outside the one, the one in charge, let's say, I don't know. I'm most comfortable there, not feeling like that, but at the same time, like, so I think, so I think when stepping into that kind of job, I like completely like there's, there's no in between. I just completely jump in like those hours I'm on the clock. I like think I am just I am just this movie theater. I like wear the uniform <laughs> and now that's that's my job. If you know, you got a job just do it do it right kind of thing. I don't know. I would just totally it felt like kind of totally losing myself to a bigger thing. Mm-hmm. Like almost even though you know and I I justify it outside the hours being like, "Oh, it's just for the paycheck, whatever, whatever kind of thing." But um inside when you're there, it felt like I would hand over I mean, all my individual individual individuality. But yet in doing that, what's actually happened is my individuality was probably coming through, but just as an extension of this uh, cult-like thing. Well, and there are lots of people that thrive in that construct. And I think it's really, you know, it takes a very particular person to thrive in that construct when the business is being run poorly. But when it's being run really, really well, like working on Gordon's show, I was like, damn, this is this is kind of exciting. You know, like this is somebody who's really, really good at what they do and has surrounded themselves and, and cultivated s- some of the best people in this field. And we get to be trained by them and, and like do the thing that they're doing and try to do it well. And you get, you know, it's very easy to get sucked into that uh, excitement. And, and I have friends who work in really beautifully constructed uh, bars or restaurants that absolutely love being the person who can provide this experience for somebody. Um, right. But most places are not that. <laughs> like the vast, vast majority. Like that's like maybe, I don't know, 2% of the places in the world that are like really brilliantly created and run and treat their staff well and make you feel like a family and all that stuff. And that's great, but it's so not the common thing in, yeah. in, in the restaurant world. Totally. And I want to, sorry, just, uh, cause I know this is forever for history here. Uh, I couldn't find the right word for it. I said in charge, I like, I like being, but I think I don't, 
I don't see like, you know, I'm just referring to directing, producing, whatever that is. Uh, I don't see that as being the head of a totem pole or anything like that. I see it as being a piece of a larger group. And I enjoy, uh, I look at it as all as an equal collaboration. So sorry, I just cringed at myself when I said be in charge. <laughs> totally so kind fair. of had to clarify a bit. Yeah, I mean, if you hadn't done that, who knows, you could have t- someday turned into Chef Julian Slowick. <laughs> yeah. I could see that. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, and speaking of Julian here, I loved in, I don't know, kind of what you're putting maybe as sort of a, looking at this movie as a play and for me just looking at it as a horror movie. I loved like the level of threat that he is where it's not like he's an immediate physical threat. It's like just so delicious how it's presented <laughs> of Oh, actually, well, we're all going to die tonight. And then you just let that simmer. Um, oh, but boy. how how that makes it become he is he's an intellectual threat, you know? Yeah. Well, it's it's both that and the uh the the optics, this the thing that we we identify uh or or with the thing that we can identify really quickly, which is the person who is in charge, right? Like the person, the expert who's in charge that like demands our respect and that we admire because of that. And like having that be the character as the villain right away, we we know that we're in a way at their mercy. And that's a scary thing, but also a, a thing that we we just, we understand right away. Like when you watch him walk in, we go, obviously, we're helped by the Tyler character being who he is, who is this, you know, smarmy little prick who who gushes over every little nuanced bullshit thing. He's like the worst version of this thing. In the first, like, minute of the movie, I was like, I, I hate him. I hate, I know who, <laughs> this person. I've met this person in my life. They're the worst to be around. They just suck the life out of everything because they think they know everything. And when getting him to be the person kind of giving the the editorializing when we first meet Julian is is even more sort of buries that point that this guy is somebody to be, you know, Put on this pedestal. He's not just a chef. He's looking at him. Oh my God, look at him. There he comes. Here he comes. It's right. like, everybody hold your breath. Like he's basically coaching us through how to feel. And we're like, oh man. It's, uh, it reminds me of like, you know, in my, my deadhead lore, how Jerry Garcia always talked about, he hated getting like idolized and thought that was really unhealthy of just like to turn a person into something more than a person. Right. Uh, which is exactly what, uh, yeah, what he's doing with Julian there. And then it's, I mean, just sort of to go off of what uh, is working in in regards to that is to have the 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 opposite reaction of Margot just being like, "Do you see yourself? Yeah. Like, chill out, man. Right. He's just a dude." Well, that's at the heart of it. What was so compelling uh, was they felt like equals. Like they had both met their match in each other yeah. with these clear goals. Do you at mean play. you mean Margot and Margot and Julian? And Julian. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Like that first 
uh, that scene where they she's going in the bathroom to smoke mm-hmm. and he walks in <laughs> on her. It was, it's so good. And this is another way to describe like the kind of villain, if you will, I think it's so interesting or so compelling about him is that he's being honest when he says stuff like, I just want you to enjoy your meal. Right. That's what's so compelling is we can also see and relate to him and empathize with him on some human level. Like yeah. what he's doing, what his end goals are, are monstrous. But it's like there's something almost sometimes more terrifying or terrifying in a different way when it feels like you can communicate with them as a regular person, too. Right. It's like it almost uh, brings that that level of threat into, uh, I don't know, something more like a possibility. I don't know. It does. Yeah. I mean, there's such a complex depth to both Margot and Julian that. I think you're sort of forced to go, oh, kind of anything's on the table in this movie now. Like, we could go in any direction. Like, he could give her an ultimatum and and sort of that's it. Like, they're, they're an unwavering ultimatum where it's like this or that. Or he could be reasoned with. Mm-hmm. And we, we go, shit, which... Which is it going to be, actually? Is she going to be able to do that? Like, because I think when you when you write a character where the they have the capacity for understanding, we are left to wonder way more than we would if they were written really strictly sort of like, this is their doctrine and this is who they are and that's that. And so it just opens the door for us to go, damn, I really actually don't know where this is going to go. And to watch her character have that experience, too. Which is so important for a horror movie like this, just where you feel like, okay, I can see how there might be a chance of escape, but it is so slim. And how is this going to play out just for that suspense? It's interesting. You know, this the way that this movie is written, which I really, I think, find refreshing is that it both has subtext and speaks to the subtext at the same time. So, for example, and it does it in a really well-timed-out way. Like, there's humor behind how it unfolds. And so, when he says to her, I just need to know if you're with us or you're with them, and she sort of goes to this point of like, oh, okay, now she has to process that and say, and like ask the question, okay, well, if I choose one or the other, am I going to be okay? And he's like, oh, no, we're all di- dying tonight. Like, it kind of doesn't matter, but I'm giving you the option. <laughs> and like, that's the core of the movie to me is that like, or the core to, of the writing and the, the sort of the, how, why I like it so much is that, that kind of dark humor is so appealing to me because it is it, it's it's constantly moving the floor underneath you right you keep thinking oh oh sh- here maybe i can stay with her and stay ahead and uh and find the solution with her or at least you know s- sort of with her um or anticipate it and they're just constantly being like nah like, we're not going to let you feel that. Mm. Wait, let you feel what? 
that you know what's going to come next, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. you can get ahead of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, I don't know that there are, I'm sure plenty of movies and, and scripts and, and stories that do that well. But this one, for some reason, I wonder if it's because it's sort of outright stated. Well, I think it was, has to do too with, I already said that he's an intellectual threat. It's like, yeah. And he's also very human and honest. Yeah. So it just feels like it's not, it's a matter of, you can either approach it as like it's a matter of manipulation mm, or mm-hmm. I think, you know, why, why she wins in the end of uh, finding his humanity and reaching that right. somehow. Right. Because like at the end of the day, the, it's not it's not um, it's not complicated. He, the, <laughs> the script is yeah. really simple. <laughs> right. And they tell us like. Well, it's just, it's just, what's going to happen. I mean, it's just deep and hard to put into words, like what is the internal subtext thing exactly happening, how it plays out in these terms. But like to try to do it, she appeals to his quest for perfection in, in the artistry by reminding him that, uh, a thing that can feel closer to perfection than, the the food itself and how it's prepared is the human experience around it. That's right. And and you're right. They the script does a really really good job. The writers do an amazing job of circling that notion repeatedly in different ways. Like early on when he serves bread with no bread, she calls him out for it and she sort of goes, "Look, man, like I'm not eating this because you're not serving us anything. <laughs> like when you finally give us something that's not some weird deconstructed bullshit that's kind of like just taking the piss out of everything, right. like then maybe I'll be hungry. It's this is so good because she's it's basically like you just have that immediately that immediate confrontation of uh, please eat your food. It isn't food. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then yeah. just the waiting for his response of, oh. Uh, um, and it's like we can have this obnoxious intellectual debate about what is and isn't food. And she's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Which they both love that rapport. You can tell right. them they're really, they enjoy that sparring with each other and we enjoy watching it. Well, and again, to your point of his intellect, he also knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So he's like, you're not wrong, but I'm still going to play this out with you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they keep, and, and yeah. And so, okay. I keep meaning to say this every time you, you mentioned the perfection thing. It w- it hit me so hard when he started talking about this this pursuit of perfection and and how it's you know you can never really have it and I'm like that is life right like that is to me the point in a lot of ways to broadly life but less broadly being an artist specifically this thought which is how I think I translated it for myself. The life is the pursuit of perfection, but knowing that there is no attainability. It's not about actually being perfect. You cannot get there. It does not exist. But you still, as an artist, 
should strive to try well, and that the experience of life as an artist is the trying not the result what's what's crazy though is i think and why we why we convince ourselves that it is something achievable is because i think when we're fans of art things oh, yeah do feel perfect yeah, like you yeah. think of Think of like uh, a stormtrooper hitting his head on the ceiling in Star Wars. And it's just, it's a perfect moment, you know? Right. Things like that. Or just this little thing. It's like, it's like when you're, you're making a film and it's just agonizing over picking a take kind of thing. Uh, but then just kind of knowing that, you know, you're looking at, look at your favorite films and there's just something that's like Dude. a forever brain worm because you just love a certain way someone said something. It is a perfect moment for you. So yeah. it kind of tricks us to think in those terms and words where it's like maybe when I say it is a perfect moment, that word isn't actually appropriate, but it certainly feels like it hits the spot or, you know, is accurate from a fan point of view. Yeah, but this and this story is basically reminding us that the folly is to fully believe that there is an attainable perfection. Well, yeah, and I'm trying to think of it and like, okay, so we have Tyler who represents, let's say, the fan, right? Mm -hmm. But he's putting the, rather than on like, I mean, obviously he loves the food, but he's also putting too much on the chef himself as a godlike yeah. idol, like we already talked about. Um, I keep thinking too, how to, how to like, I just sort of wrap my head around kind of what I was saying earlier of like the role of a leader, what that actually is. I always come back to uh, paraphrase another Grateful Dead quote here, those who lead must follow. And I think of that in terms of your, I mean, it can be, you know, open for interpretation, the beautiful thing about it, but I like to look at it as you're following both the people you're making something with what is everyone's contribution intuition we're all on the same thing creating this joint thing together but maybe more so even that um when pursuing perfection let's say too you follow the thing itself you aren't thinking of it don't think of it in terms of oh i the chef i'm making my my perfect dish <laughs> right it should be all on that dish you're making but um, then it just gets interesting and tricky when it's like, let's say, you know, The Shining is a perfect horror movie, yet we know what what it took to get there. And Kubrick, you know, <laughs> looking back at his ways of doing things to reach what we as fans could call perfection, yeah. it's uh, he was not, you know, following, <laughs> let's say, right, everyone's right. well-being, but uh, maybe took too much of an extreme in like looking after um, putting that quest of the movie over like humans well being. Right? right. So I think that's that interesting, which is line. the movie. Yeah. And I was trying to <laughs> right Cause I was trying to think like, what would I do if I was in her situation to escape? And Shelley I, Duvall, I, you mean? No, no. Yeah. Sorry. And, um, just to be clear. No, no, no. In, in Anya Taylor Joy's oh, oh, yeah, situation yeah, yeah. Well, here. Okay. <laughs> how enough. would I, how would I try to outwit this chef, let's say. Right. And that's where I saw it in that sort of argument of it's the, the human life is the ultimate artistic thing that should never be superseded by a movie, a meal, let's say. Right. Right. And he, I mean, the, again, back to the sort of, I think why the movie is so, so good is that the, 
I'm going to go back and watch it again and again and realize how almost perfectly plotted out every beat is. Perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and how well um, timed all of the necessary information is. So he says to her in that conversation in his office when he calls her in that he hasn't felt the desire to cook for, for an individual in years in the way that he's now kind of intrigued that she has intrigued him into feeling again. Like he basically tells her how to win in that scene. And she has to go through the movie to realize, oh, that is the answer. She's, you know, you don't know it when it, it's said to you right then and there because you don't know what the stakes are yet. You, you know, she's she's learning mm. as she goes. And so, but like the movie by, I think this is a weird exercise in, I don't know. I, I, I kind of want to go talk to people who are more experts in the screenwriting realm of like how they view screenwriting specifically because I feel like there's a lot of rules that are like that you hear thrown around that that maybe don't really mean what they are trying to say they mean things like don't talk the plot and it's like yes that's true don't talk the plot that's a good rule to have but what does that mean and in what cases can you have characters talk the plot in a way that services the film or the story or the characters or all of the above. And I mean, I might be kind of muddying what I'm trying to say, but to me, this movie's strength is that it's telling us everything we need to know constantly. Like it's, it's not being sneaky. Maybe that's why I like it because it's well, it's it's not. Yeah, it's nice because kind of like what you started out saying, it's doling out the information about the characters, the backstory, the it's upping the stakes just at the mm. right moment. The pacing. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I, I. I found it as a style, I guess, incredibly refreshing. Um. And I'm not exactly sure what to 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 use as an example but to the say style it, what of what of the writing yeah, right, uh, right. specifically this thing of of kind of being like we're handing you information really really clearly. There's, I think it's a good pacing. It's yeah, just, it's a sort of it's just does a really good job in the writing, and I'm sure the editing too. That's of true, just yeah. being tuned in to where we are right now in audiences of of when do we need to get to know the next little thing like like the or or the upping of the stakes too yeah. it comes yeah at you're a, right a perfect time when uh the guy gets shot <laughs> or shoots himself right yeah maybe maybe part of what it is is what's thrilling i think for me as a viewer and somebody who does like to kind of think ahead when i'm watching a movie like this uh the gap between the presu presumption of knowing what's going to happen 
and that thing happening was really small. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? I might have been ahead for a couple things, but I was ahead by like 15 seconds rather than being like, oh, right, here's where this is headed. Which is very key on that level too to when you have a... it's very key that that is working uh, in a movie that's all about intellectual sparring. In, or, in order for that to work, you'd need the other yeah. work. Like when they laid out the mat for the guy to kill himself and they started putting the decoration stuff around it, uh, not until the guy stepped onto it did I go, oh shit, okay, mm-hmm. here we go. At that point, it's anticipation rather than, oh, I got it already. Right. Right. Yeah. And I was, yeah, that is a testament to, to pacing Mm -hmm. and editing. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. It's great. It's just so great. I was just looking at it again in just a sort of sense of, uh, uh, the, the horror genre as we're, we're doing here as far as the pacing with just like just the right amount of time of the off the island before they arrive. Mm, Just the mm -hmm. amount of the time of walking around. And oh, and it came at the perfect point. I loved sort of upping the stakes when they got the tortillas (laughs) with the personal images printed on them. Like, oh, it's a perfect escalation at the perfect moment. That's actually the the exact appropriate term. It's the escalation of things in this is is just so... uh, so kind of like, oh, what's a good word for this? It's, it's not, I don't want to say it's perfect. It's not too fast and not too slow. Yeah, but it, 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 it's, it feels good, <laughs> right? And obviously it's, it's doing what it needs to do. Like it's escalating at the right amounts. So you don't get this thing, which sometimes I think a lot of movies do. And then they lose steam is that, They'll have one, they'll have a set piece that's really incredible. And you're like, that was awesome. How are they going to top that? And they don't, they can't. They they do too much at too early or something to that effect. And this just never really, it, it's unrelenting, well-made uh, escalation. Well, that's, I don't know, that's something I'm always going on about that feels unique to horror is horror, I've said this for sure, for sure, um, before, where horror, it feels like it's unique in that its escalation is almost like a straight line going diagonally upwards. (laughs) Right. You know, so it's just, and when we have the, you know, escape final girl, you know, formula going on that feels just right. But then we also need some sort of payoff of what is the horror it needs to i don't know it needs to feel like a culmination of mm. the escalation which i think satisfied me as having again very midsummer-esque um <laughs> right, being right. put in a costume in this case as a uh, s'mores oh and so good too i mean <laughs> yeah how that ties it all together too i loved how he described the <sighs> s'mores yep. of being like the god he did he use like the not not consumeristic or cap he said corporate or something like that yeah like to describe um the ingredients of them uh just laying that out there and having it be s'more yeah what he said s'mores represented just felt so perfect it's really wrapped it all up together yeah yeah also just the genius of using that as the thing in in just the terminology like what what does 
why are they called s'mores? Because you want some more, mm-hmm. right? Which <laughs> in and of itself is absurdly stupid, right? but to the point, right? Like it, some very A- smart or or just keen marketer came up with that and it speaks to all of these things right there are a whole group of people who on both sides the served and the servers only want more 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 except for anya taylor joy's character who is satisfied with just a regular old burger she does not want what these people want which is why she lives yeah man it, it is so good the the interpersonal intricacy i think is also really compelling to me. And what I mean by that is each pair has their own conflict going on at the same time. And they're all, they all match kind of, the intensity matches the importance, so to speak, like the billing, if you will, of each of each pairing. So like the top being uh, Margot and Julian, right? Like there's an intricacy between their interpersonal relationship. They're the next being Margot and, and Tyler and, and the unfolding of that intricacy leading to kind of the, in a way, the big holy shit moment of, of her being faced with the fact that this dude hired her to accompany him to die. Right. And then each of the other couples sort of, you know, the 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 relationship that John Leguizamo and his assistant have. Like, George Diaz and Felicity. Yeah, like they, we get to to learn about them, learn about the, in, the, the nuance and intricacy of that right. relationship. She's the assistant slash girlfriend, which says it all. Right, and, and, and that that relationship is ending. And in fact, in a way... Well, I was gonna, I was gonna venture to say that every relationship in it is is ending, but man, that's probably not true. Well, it's this night. <laughs> well, it is, yeah, that's right. Um, but like the well, husband and wife, right? Well, it's about he's. I mean, this was this was also what was so I think cool about and like maybe where he was in his own way, the chef's own way. He 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 knows what these people were seeking um, as far as like that quest for perfection, quote unquote involves a certain like drumming up of humanity slash sincereness, which hmm. you think of a way to get people to even be operating on that level is to drum up conflict, right? Like right. It's, it's watching the very excited to watch after this, the new white Lotus. It's like, what's that shows all about where it's like, we're operating, you know, re- relationships, let's say can reach a certain plateau where then, I don't know where where um, to get there. There's room for more authenticity if you sort of bring up whatever these deeper issues are. So he is actually. I mean, this is his ultimate artistic work <laughs> yeah. by al- allowing them to even sort of go to those places by forcing, like, hey, um, hey, rich couple, your husband's you know cheats on you, whatever, whatever. Yeah, I mean, another another way of looking at it that I think is interconnected for all of the characters is. He's pointing out the fact that everybody there in some way or another is a fraud, mm-hmm. except for Margot. And he's convinced that she is in some way. 
And and actually, she almost is. She almost falls in line, too, of this idea of being a fraud because she is presenting a character for her work. Uh, As a sex worker, you know, she is Margot Mills, but that's not who she actually is. Well, I mean, it's part of who she actually is, but her real name is Aaron something or other, right? She's not from where she said she's from. So she also falls into this fraud category. Tyler for sure is a fraud. I mean, he's just full of shit. Um, John Leguizamo is suffering from feeling like he's a fraud. He's constructed this whole relationship with his assistant that they both know is bullshit. She's a fraud. She's been stealing from him and she knows (laughs) and he knows and she knows he knows and he knows she knows, right? Like uh, the husband and wife the the wife clearly knows he's been cheating on her, but she ignores it. I wanted to give special shout out to her. I really liked how like in the end, her character, you kind of really liked her. She kind of was like uh, how she responds. Yeah. The, the way that she knew all along and maybe, you know, we can put the blame or, you know, she, she was conflict avoidant too or whatever, but the way she handles it. And then also kind of then like the prostitute that her husband was with, she's like, I don't know. She's like, you know, save yourself. Go ahead. She's the one who says, you know, signals to her, like, just get out of here. Right. I don't know. right. There was something really, um, I, I don't know. It was, it was nice just to not have it where it, it's like, I hate all these rich people across the board. It yeah. was nice to yeah, have. Yeah, no, I agree. Show her humanity too. Yeah. And just to finish the, the, the thought exercise here, the frauds of the three dudes, mm-hmm. they all know that they're stealing and that they're embezzling and that they're full of shit. And yet they like, off, you know, the two of them tell the tell the the restaurant that it's the third guy's birthday, right? Like they they're just playing out this bullshit with each other, and then the of course the bit the kind of the biggest one being the the um what do you call it the the restaurateur mm-hmm. woman um the food critic food critic and and her it's her editor you yeah. said yeah okay um. They're just also full of shit, right? right? Like it's all to serve this uh, this other purpose and to be high on their ability to kind of make or break things. Well, it's it's interesting. Like, why? How does one? How do people get there? How do we all get there? Now, I think we touched on this before, like other episodes. But it's when we, you know, we live in a society that normalizes all these behaviors, right? right. So it's just like. It's not, quote unquote, living a lie, it feels like, when it's just sort of everyone's doing it, you know, on some level, which actually is something else I could connect that to. What I wanted to say about the sort of cult side of it, um, to back to that, um, you can, so, and all those people that you say they're living a lie in some regard in that way, you can sense that there is an unease about them, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what the, that's what gets exploited, by the chef, you know, and then brought up, like I was saying, to bring out their honest selves. Including the sous chef who kills himself. Right. So, um, but what a cult mentality offers, I thought this was really interesting, is you do see, you don't see that unsettling, uh, just that kind of chronic unsettled, what do you call it? Just, yeah, like I was saying, you can tell on some level the lies they're living, da 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 they aren't at peace, let's mm-hmm, say, on mm-hmm. some level. Which is actually a good way to put it because I think everyone in the cult, our chef included, they seem like at 
peace. Like they've let go of any kind of, they don't have personal, I don't know, and they do, but as far as how they've convinced themselves uh, or they're just so in denial, I don't know. But when you're so plugged into whatever that kind of cult thing may be and have so much conviction in it, I mean, yeah, so I'm just here. This is, we're all going to die tonight. And that's, that's what it is. Yeah. But it leaks Mm -hmm. for everybody, which I think is really human. And that's cool. Like for example, Hong Chao, the, the maitre d'. I love her. (laughs) She's so good. And we think that she's unwavering, right? Like we are presented with this. She's not the one who will ever crack. And then she does because she's like, you're not going to take my job. He's not going to like you more than he (laughs) likes me. And she attacks Margo, right? And so, like, nobody is safe from the humanity of of feeling, of feeling, of just feeling. And that's what I was saying uh, she lost track of earlier. Rather than uh, being all about the art they're there for that night, she uh, becomes about her own personal, uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. To appeal to the chef. Damn. Um, by the way, uh, just so if anybody didn't see this, I don't know why you're listening to this, but hey, you can. Um, the the wife that we're referring to, the actress is Judith Light um, of Who's the Boss fame. She played Angela. Everybody remember Angela? Remember Who's the Boss? Oh, and Who's the Boss? When you said Angela, I thought The Office, but Who's the <laughs> Who's Yes, Who's the Boss? Yeah. <laughs> who's the Boss? Uh, when you were talking screenwriting terms earlier, I had thought of, I really liked how Tyler, that character was... Uh, I don't know if there's a proper term or whatever for it in screenwriting terms, but felt like a negative arc, yeah. you know, where we set him up where his uh, Achilles heel is he just wants to be liked by Chef, right? But then he he gets his ending, his demise, is he he gets made fun of and oh, de- he gets brutalized in that the worst yeah. possible way for him by the only person in the world he wants to like him. It's just, right. it's, it's so good. We just see him, but it's great because it's the horror movie and we're on board with his, uh, we kind of hate him. We go, grow to hate him more as this movie goes on, yeah. which uh, I thought also was very well paced. It's so but- sa- it's, it's hmm, uncomfortably satisfying in the sense that like we i think we often really want to see the know-it-all fanboy get their comeuppance Mm. you know i mean i don't want anybody to be humiliated you're talking about in movie terms yeah exactly (laughs) not in real life but like but like that feeling you know we we all can relate to that feeling of like can you just just shut up (laughs) oh you know everything about this you think it's that easy go ahead and try it yeah but that it's so it's so great because at the beginning you know she's uh trying to be a little open-minded about it like okay well tell me why do you love this so much and he he does almost kind of like win us over in the way he talks about it's like (laughs) okay i get you know i could get yeah food is all these things great cool so at the same time someone like that yeah one minute hate him but the other minute we they're so sincere in their love for something. And if someone could just share that. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Damn. Well, I mean, I think we could continue to gush. Um, <laughs> yeah, just last little things. Uh, I don't know if this is the right term for it, but I liked the, uh, this is a film school term. I don't even know what it means, but just saying transmedia felt right. Where <laughs> it, It's not necessarily, because that word doesn't mean like it's cross- um, like a medium 
maybe it does. I don't know. But what came, why that word felt right, that reminded me of like, it's using our modern audiences um, awareness of these chef shows that right. we're talking about as part of the, as part of the, I don't know, <laughs> the, how it looks, how it feels, the, yeah. the, the, the visual text, if you will, the visual language there. That's what I'm looking for. So just that anything like that is fun. And I thought was done really well where it's like, yeah, it's so familiar for us to have these, uh, these uh, beauty shots they're called with sorting and uh, <laughs> right. assistant editor jobs I've done of the food, but then with the text on screen, it's like, it's, it's just so cool when something like that doesn't feel like it takes you out of it and makes you go, Oh, all of a sudden it just is one of these shows. No, it's neat when it's just so built in and just kind of, as I said, transmedia crosses yeah, our sort yeah. of awareness of these different modes of viewing things. Yeah. And like in the same sense that you would say it's transcendent, right? Like <laughs> yeah. it's transmedia. <laughs> different, different. I know. I don't I, know. Maybe tran is at a, applicable somehow, but yeah. Yeah. I guess the only other thing that I sort of just want to shout out is is the the perfect level of of like gore if you will it's not a particularly gory movie but we see just enough of all the stuff that you need to see that like maintained a level of humor within those really horrifying moments mm -hmm. and i just am i'm always so in awe when when you as a filmmaker can hit those notes so well mm. right because like you show a little too much of the finger getting cut off and it feels wrong but like it's just enough we see the knife move in just enough of the right way and we see his finger being held against the table right before it happens in just the right way. You know what I mean? Just the right way. Yeah, yeah. It's and perfect. like, what does that mean? Like, and how? And well, why do we feel that way? But man. To kind of tie it together too, all together, perfection. It To put it in those terms of like I was saying, when you're the artist, you should think of the terms of what is best for the art we're making, right? So perfection in that sense is it is whatever the thing wants itself to be can be perfect per perfection perfect perfection <laughs> right. um yeah yeah that is a way maybe we relate to define it that that amount of finger the knife that they showed was just exactly what it wanted to be yep did you like that she wipes she uses the menu itself as a napkin to wipe burger from her face <sighs> at the very end it's great it's great. Yeah. Just here's the thing. What I mean when I say all these things are perfect is that they feel good. <laughs> Feels correct. Right. It satisfies. Yeah. Yeah. Which was great when this, what was supposed to be um, exquisite experience uh, as far as taste buds, just she just didn't like it. She's just too fancy. She'd yeah. rather have her oysters this way. That's right. And it's okay. Yeah. You're allowed to feel that way. Uh, I know. Yeah. I, we should wrap this section up here, but I just feel like I want to shout out um, our two main leads here, Ralph Fiennes and Anya Taylor-Joy, just as, I mean, sparring equals in their character and their acting. It just made this so, yeah. so good. Um, and actually, it was an interview I was watching with um, Nicholas Hout, who plays Tyler, Anya Taylor-Joy, and the director were Nicholas Hout. Sorry, I don't know how to say his name. I think it's Holt. Holt. That'd make but more sense sure, than but... Holt. Um, 
he pointed out, or maybe it was the director, they were just pointing out Ralph Fiennes. He had this, I don't know if it's an ability or just quality where he seems threatening yet at the same time like warm mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just incredible yeah <laughs> it's a perfect way to put it love that about it yeah there's a there's this i god i i i can pull up the movie or recall it in, in, sometime before we, we finish um but there is i think it's an outtake from a movie where he uh he in his seriousness and his like conviction to to you know stain in character nobody on set like his his the other actors not on this film but in this other film could like keep a straight face because they're like disarmed by him constantly <laughs> i can't remember the movie it's like the one where he like walks up to a, a young guy who's looking at a a big painting and he just like stands there for a minute and he just goes art and that's it and and like there are outtakes of everybody like nobody can keep a straight face because he's just he has that ability to to both capture like incredible intimidation and this weird warm almost like irreverent sense of humor at the same time and it's like what is going on man he's so great yeah he has a uh, he deeply cares is it what yeah. he, the quality he imbibes which is perfect for that character perfect can't stop <laughs> <laughs> i know God. just right ah, all right let's get out of here and move on to see if we have anything for our next section what did not work it's not ready yet seems to work okay no something important's missing what did not work <laughs> I mean, Mr. Byatt over here, anything for you? Not really at the moment, but I do wonder if I'm, you know, maybe just in the, uh, I, I'm, I'm all a flutter and I can't see through it, you know, rose tinted glasses or something. Yeah. I, I do wonder a little bit if the, I guess the conceit of his character that he's like planned all this out. Like I, I, I want to f- investigate the logic of it all um, and just see if there, if you can poke any holes in it. But at the moment, I, I, if you can, I was, uh, you know, blinded by all the other stuff being so great yeah so it doesn't and and even if i do find that i can i don't think it'll matter (laughs) at all (laughs) so you're just question you're just uh curious to see it again to see how airtight it all really is yeah and if it is airtight like is it airtight like I don't know. I think on my first watch here, it felt that way. So something to it for that says something about it there. Um, the only thing, I mean, I stand by everything we were saying, how great the pacing is, was, uh, however, when watching it on this first viewing, some of this, uh, some of the, I just, I don't know, just feeling my age kind of thing where it just felt a little (laughs) quick at points, a little snappy. Okay. Specifically, I loved, and I loved that about it, but there was like a moment 
right towards it was, I think like the kind of first monologue he gives and um, Tyler's like listening really intently where I, I wanted to like slow down and kind of like be there hmm. and like really take it in a little more. And I, that's probably all there. And I was just, there's just on a first viewing, it's just yeah. kind of a lot and the pacing is a lot. That was the only time like this whole movie where on a first viewing, I got taken out of it a little bit where something felt too fast, something in there. But hey, whatever, we're really uh, scraping the bottom of the barrel here, but that's what we're doing here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a part of me that thinks it's more likely that on multiple viewings, we're going to find more things we like that you can't see on just the first single viewing anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's just more likely, so whatever. All right, then, enough of that. Let's see uh, what things of note we might have in Things of Note. Things of Note! (laughs) This should be interesting. I mean, really, I just want to mention another thing that worked for me. I forgot to say, (laughs) but no, no, just real quick, because it was kind of playing off what you were saying as far as like, how airtight is this? I think it's a good sign. It's really airtight. Um, When just in every sense, it's writing to where we are at as um, a movie going, right? People who are into movies, you know, movie going audience where Every little thought we have is somehow like, whether it's again, being in tune with the pacing and the, where the exposition appears, but it was just so cool. I was even on the level of, I remember kind of thinking and wondering, oh yeah, they brought up the fact that they brought up, um, that they maybe could have escaped through sheer force. Oh, I know. My God. That's and he's right. like, and it's the so way he good. put it, it's like, you probably could have made it, you know, kind yeah. of. All. That just felt like that per- That was where my head was at. It was, I think, probably make it. So just to just, just plug into where I was at in every sense, it just was that, that together and uh, airtight felt like. Anyway, yeah. a thing of note was we had one more thing <laughs> that worked, uh, more traditional things of note. Um, I thought this was interesting, too, where this is this is a neither worked nor didn't thing, but something I kind of like worked in the context. Um, the the dialogue, it at times it felt, I don't know how you put it, like dialogue-y, I guess. Yeah. But that totally worked for this kind of movie and what it was and looking at it again through that horror lens of just something about the banter it like if it was trying to be a super uber realistic like Mm. kind of style movie would not work but for what this movie is it felt like it was right for it which i thought was really interesting was further evidenced by this morning at the hollywood farmer's market swung by checkout they're called uh tomorrow bagels I believe um, this, uh, uh, yeah, Tomorrow's Bagels, this dude there, Alex, I'll talk horror movies with. He said he did not want to see the movie or did not think it looked good based on the trailer because the dialogue put him off. It's just something about it, like in the trailer, mm-hmm. felt just like a little too, I forget the word he used, but just kind of like snappy or self-aware sure. or dialogue right? Like I was saying. But in the context of the movie, he said he loved it, totally worked. Right. Interesting. 
Um, I thought it was interesting that the original Margot was going to be Emma Stone. Yep. And I, I mean, I get that, but damn, it's hard to even imagine anybody but Anna, Anya Taylor-Joy. Anya Taylor-Joy, she's, she said in uh, that interview I was watching with her that um, it's the most, um, it's the character she's played that's felt most sure of herself Oh, which wow. uh, she said she loved being able to do just because, and I think why it's fun to watch is there's just something about her and the kind of person she is where she's like, she's just like a knife. She's just sharp, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> even like physically how she looks. So she's formidable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah as yeah. a person, like we just get that from her, mm-hmm. which I think it's great. It's such a cool like quality to have in, in a, in a actor and someone to root for in yeah. this situation. Um, how, what were you thinking? I was curious how you would get out of this situation if you were her. Man, I don't know. I mean, I think I, yeah, I think how they constructed her solution made the most sense because. But you're there in the movie. I know. You haven't seen what she's, you know, you didn't see how she escaped. What were you thinking when you were thinking, because you're always trying to think ahead. How is she going to escape? But really what you're doing when you're doing that, you're thinking, how would I you escape? You know, actually, I did have the thought um, when they did the thing with the men needing to go run off. I was like, I'm a, I'm really good at hiding. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, if the end game at that point, do they all really know that they're going to die yet? Maybe not. But they, you know, they, I think they can sense it. I'm like, man, if I can just hide really well, I'll just outlast them because he wants to follow through with this tonight. Mm -hmm. And if I'm gone, like they can't find me, they'll just probably give up and and just carry on with the night. Yeah. Um, uh, Outside of that, I don't know. (laughs) I was like, I kept thinking like, okay, you can like, you can try and grab a knife or whatever, but like, yeah, there's more of them than there are of you. Like there's security guards there, (laughs) like, like legit, but nothing as far as how you would, uh, intellectually spar with him. No, I mean, I do think, yeah, uh, trying to appeal in the way that she did to some clue that he gives yeah i think that's your best bet i guess all right so you may certainly wasn't gonna cook a a better meal or something (laughs) like that's not that's not a skill i have sounds like you may not have made it out i probably wouldn't have actually that was another that was a kind of what did not work for me in the moment watching it was i I loved the ideas behind it of what they were doing with it as far as letting the men have their chance to escape it was cool but it felt I don't know, at least then and there watching it kind of incomplete or like maybe I was expecting that they were going to kill them. I don't know. It just felt kind of weird just to have them like run away and come back and nothing really happened. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was a little, little, little weird. Whatever. Not a big deal, though. Um, it was fun uh, uh, hearing the the interview where they talked about a couple things that were improvised that were interesting. It was one of them is a line I love from her, but it was when... Uh, she and Chef had their first kind of, um, oh, after she refuses to eat the bread without bread, after she refuses to eat just the the dipping sauces, <laughs> after they have their old back and forth, and like, you can tell it's so tense, and he just kind of politely walks away. She says with, uh, 
you know, when their backs are turned to each other and he's walking away, she gives this thank you. And that was improvised and is just so mm, perfect. Uh, nice. That, thank you. I loved it. And then um, right after that moment, he goes over to his mother, who we didn't mention at all, and is a great presence in this film. Um, and I guess it was scripted that he, you know, kisses her on the head or cheek or whatever. But what he does is just so perfect where he just kind of puts his head on her in a right. way where it just kind of, I mean, absolutely felt more on character somehow that that's the kind of level of intimacy or the way he would express it. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, talking about how the the film was uh, using the filmmaking style of Chef's shows. The oh, second, right. <laughs> second unit director, David Gelb, uh, his show is the docuseries Chef's Table. So he was <laughs> brought on to recreate the filmmaking style from his show. So there you go. That's so funny and so smart. Yeah. Um, other fun little tidbit from that interview. Just fun in the... Actually, here we go in the crazy Kubrick quest for perfection uh, thing. It took two weeks of going back and forth, not of like actual work, but two weeks of till of, I guess, starting to give notes on the sound of the glass breaking when um, Tyler reaches over and knocks the glass over when working <laughs> on the sound design. It took them. Yeah. The director said two weeks to go back and forth and get the sound of that glass Jeez. breaking. Right. And then. um and then Anya said, uh, Anya, Anya said in that same scene that she makes like a squeal noise when the glass breaks. And she, I mean, I don't know if it was literal, but she said it took 79 takes of her squealing that the, <laughs> I don't even think it was the director, but the ADR people, but she got a very specific squeal. Hmm. Took that many takes apparently. So there you go. Some of that crazy Kubrickian, Kubrickian <laughs> quest to perfection was there in that moment of glass breaking and her squeal that's cool is that it for the menu tim that's all i got <laughs> all right then we could wind down here thank you the menu with some recommendations uh still catching up on some some watches from uh september october i really liked i'd always been meaning to see the film uh, uh freaked <laughs> Oh, the director slash uh, Bill and Ted star Alex Winter. That's right. His yeah. one of his. Uh, I think he co-directed it. Um, it, yeah, it was it was everything I hoped it would be. Check it out. <laughs> That's good. Look at the cover and you'll know if you'll like it. Freaked. Um. So I was going through my letterbox and um, I did the thing where, you know, I love that they added this um, function that when you search most, well, that when you look at all of the films that they've grayed out, or you can select this as a function, that you can gray out the films that you've seen. Yeah. Right. And so I was like, oh, right. I can I can go look at the, you know, the list of most popular films on Letterboxd and see what I haven't seen yet. Perfect. You're talking about wanting to see all the new release horror films. Just all great films, right? Well, critically or whatever you want to call it. Rated. Lots, of, lots of lists that are official yeah. that are then transferred over to Letterboxd. It's fun to look at. Right. And so I'm looking through and I'm like kind of amazed actually that there are, you know, only a handful on the first like five scrolling pages worth of films that I haven't seen. Um, the number one most 
popular film on Letterboxd is Parasite, and I still have not seen it, and I'm, I feel badly about that. But what I ended up watching, because I remembered that I hadn't seen it through this method, was The Green Knight. Oh, yeah. And man... I absolutely loved it. Great. The design and the look and the composition and the lighting and the just everything about it is so beautiful. Um, it really was a, a, a really magnificent thing to just take in. Speaking of uh, our other contemporary filmmakers we're fans of, remember Panos Cosmatos has got uh, something in the Cabinet of Curiosities on Netflix, so check that out too. That's right. I remember we were both excited for, oh, David Lowry's new movie, Green Knight, gotta go see it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I saw it in theaters and I've been wanting to rewatch it because I remember really liking it but being kind of overwhelmed by it all too at the same time. It's so cool. But I remember really being into it. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thanks for being here, everyone. You could find <laughs> us wherever you found us. We're on Instagram, kind of, sort of, all that good stuff. Anything else from you, Tim? We'll be back in a couple weeks with some kind of Christmas movie. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Something <laughs> Christmassy or holiday-y. Great. Well, um, in closing, enjoy your uh, breakfast, lunch, or dinner there. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>